0: Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate.
1: Indeed, or not. Anyway, this is David Eastall. This is The C86 Show. Welcome once again to another thrilling episode. This week, my special guest is going to be the Mega City Four, because I spoke to Danny Brown, one-time member of the band very recently so i've got that interview that i'm going to break up into probably three or four easy to digest little segments alongside the usual award-worthy playlist so to get the party rolling i think we're going to play your favorite of mine this is mega city 4 and the track titled january That is still my favourite Mega City 4 track, titled January, as if you needed to know that or couldn't guess it. But anyway, it takes me right back. Still sounded amazing, still decades later. Anyway, this is David Esau, this is The C86 Show, and this week's special guest is going to be Danny Bran from the band, who I spoke to very recently to find out more about life, love, poetry, and also being in a band from that golden decade anyway um i'll just do some admin because i like that and then we're we'll going to play another track and then the first part of the interview you can contact me if you want i know i always sound a bit desperate here but you can via facebook twitter and even instagram when i get around to using it you can just go to the at c86 show at c86 i will be there keep it positive and groovy otherwise don't bother see a therapist and also all these shows have been archived and podcasts i've been doing them doing them for three years now so there's an awful lot of interviews so any indie band you ever wanted to hear i probably have to sort of managed to track them down and interview them and you can find those again that's under c86 at c86 and that's on spotify itunes podbean and also mixed cloud, indeed. Anyway, this is going to be a John, a track taken from a John Peel session, and this is titled "Stay Dead." That—that that is Mega City Four on the track titled "To Stay Dead," and that came from a John Peel session. I think this was their second one from 1992 or three. Anyway, this is David Esau. This is the C86 show, and this is going to be the first part of my interview with guitarist Danny Brown from the band, where we—or I—had been babbling about this and that. And um, slightly getting a few details wrong. I thought the song that I first played, which was titled January, which I hadn't heard for ages, um, or decades probably, um, was titled September. And I couldn't find it anywhere because they never writ a song or write a song called September. That was the problem. You can see that this is going to be fun when we're all in our um, care homes in our 70s trying to remember names of songs we used to love anyway so we did that and then the next part of my conversation I had with Danny was talking about the kind of I suppose the indie scene that I put down between the years of 83 to 87 I like to be precise and uh, the band came along around about 80 yes 87 so the party had slightly changed and I just wondered what that felt like being in a band who just arrived and said we're here Danny Take it away. Yeah, it was
2: kind of 80s, I think. Yeah, it was about 80s. I think we formed in, in 87, really. Yeah, 87, that rings a bell. So what, yeah, were, you I think. what were
1: you doing in the sort of early 80s?
2: Uh, well, I was in, I was in uh, basically from school, I was in a band with Wiz and Jerry, and we had another drummer called Martin, who actually, Martin and Steve, who actually kind of come up with the logo, the Mega 4 logo, before he left the band. Um, we just got another drummer. So we were in... We're in another band, but it was just a different band with a different name, really. And we just so we'd we'd been going since kind of 81, 82, just you know, doing terrible gigs and you know, and and, and not recording anything properly, you know, not not releasing any music, but we're just kinda of learning what we were doing, really, playing well, yes. you know, just learning to play together. You know, really just kinda of playing parties and stuff like that. So from so from eighty one till about eighty seven. Uh, which seemed like a really long time, trying to make it, as they say, you know. And um, an 88 or 87 was the breakthrough with the Peel. Yes. So did you... Peel playing
1: So were you doing covers or were you writing your own material at that stage? No,
2: we were always writing our own stuff. Yeah, Always well, was writing pretty much everything, yeah. Excellent. So we were always doing... Those. We, we did, we, we played covers, but now and again, but we weren't weren't a covers band, you know. We were a kind of originals only, which makes it kind of very hard to get gigs, I suppose, when you're, because no one wants to put bands on and play their own stuff. So we'll play "Living on a Prayer," you know. play something, you know, new. Uh...
0: Yes, to yeah, the pub yeah, audience. Yes. Yeah. yeah,
2: that's it. Play some sweaty pub rock. No, I don't want to play sweaty pub rock. Want so did it, So who
1: were your kind of musical kind of influences at that time? Because obviously in the 80s you had that kind of, you had the Trevor Horn sort of sound, which was all big and brassy. and, and Yeah. Of, and then you had the indie stuff. And, and we'd had sort of post-punk with bands like Magazine and Peel. But obviously when the Smiths yeah. came along and you had Jingly Jangly stuff, that obviously kind of... Kind of dominated
2: the kind the, of C80s, there kind of C80, the C86. What they call it, the C86 kind of era. with the, yes. the, the, the um, shop assistants and all that. Which, I mean, I I, I was a massive Smiths fan. I absolutely loved the Smiths because I'm I'm a big Johnny Marr fan. I just love him as a guitar player, and I always did. Um, but we were quite mixed, really. We we listened to a lot of kind of I suppose kind of what was considered metal that was kind of new wave sort of stuff that was more punky, like very early Iron Maiden and mixtures of punk mixtures of i mean jerry was really into um uh, kind of penetration and the clash uh when we all were it was kind of like real real punk and sort of a bit of metal and and a kind of indie stuff that's going on like american hardcore so it's a really really mixed bag really a really mixed bag you know and, and pop music because we're all big you know, we all grew up listening to Lo- loving pop music. I'm a massive David Bowie.
0: Yeah.
2: I'm a massive David Bowie fan, I love I love all his kind of periods apart anything up until about Let's Dance. I don't like anything after that. But you know, I <laughs> the mean, the tricky I eighties. Mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, the tricky eighties for David. i Me and Jerry went to see him in, like, I think it was eighty one, eighty two, and the Let's Dance. He was amazing. But yeah, I mean, we we had a really big mixture of stuff. We were into the Ramones. It, it was kind of punk, the punkier metal and just a lot of weird indie stuff we picked up from radio shows really
1: yes cuz one thing that i notice we're doing this in uh, these interviews with bands is mostly bands have 5 years and you know they they do you know, on this kind of... They they have about 18 months faffing about normally unemployed or j- claiming Job Seekers yeah. Allowance. And then, you know, the, the John Peel show, or the Enterprise Allowance, and then the John Peel, you know, a John Peel play would be amazing. And then that John Peel session and that first album. So things were generally going quite well. And then then a lot of bands, you know, you had that... Second album, which unbelievably is such a cliche, but it mostly does bands in, and also if anybody ever does America, it seems to completely finish them. But the other thing yeah. that I didn't realise, apart from the the kind of admin and publishing, was the musical trend train changing. So it was sort of that eighty seven period. That you were coming up from the you know yeah. to enter the party, a lot of bands you know who were into that kind of jingly jangly sound, I suppose, you know, realized yeah. that things had moved on and the dance scene was happening, and that kind of knocked a lot of bands, and they thought, oh, we've had enough. Of yeah, this now. the
2: Manchester scene was kind of kicking off, but that was a very specific crowd, you know, and um, and I think that is, I think the thing that made us was probably the thing that buried us. You're right, actually. It's like the, the scene changes, and we come up with like populate itself and kind of Ned's Atomic Dustbin, really. I'm um, not Ned's Atomic sort of Dustbin. Populi itself and all the wonder stuff. Ned's were a bit later. Yes. Um. And and you know what it's like in the UK. It changes so quickly, and your audience suddenly just kind disappears or goes on to something else. And it's kind of the nature of the business, really, especially with young people in their twenties who, who move on very quickly onto something else. Yes. You know. And I think I think and I think it's being in the right place. Cliche, but it's being in the right place at the right time, and and having a handful of songs and And I think um, second albums often do bands in and because you can spend a life, we spent years and years, that first album took years to write and we played all the songs for a long time and some were seven, eight years old before we recorded them. And then your second album you expected to deliver in a year and you don't have that time period to produce that stuff. And especially if you're on what was really an old-fashioned indie label, you you had no financial support at all, none. Mm-hmm. so you don't you you you've got no time you can't sit around and write stuff you, you you're touring all the time and trying to make money to keep going and it becomes harder and harder and harder to actually come up with anything because you're so time poor you're always on the road really and you know yes. you've got you got to pay the, pay the rent and that's how <laughs> so yes well i
1: i had I, never appreciated it's quite how difficult and, and you're almost in a lose-lose situation isn't it because you either because everybody is kind of not everybody but someone's making a bit of money from a band but the band is probably not making much money for themselves
2: no i think it just gets split down the line between everyone who, who's kind of part of the distribution the, the record pressing the press and and we we pretty much most of our career were self-managed we and which is unheard of these days we, we did everything ourselves and so a lot of things a lot of decisions we made were really bad because <laughs> <laughs> we were all tired or we were drunk or we were high yeah. uh, but you know it's just like you you it's very it's it's the, when you haven't got like a major label backing and you haven't got that cushion and you haven't got a, load, a team of people in place to go. Well, wear this. Put this on. Do this. This is a. This is a style. This is a. We're going to do a photo shoot. We'd make kind of made decisions ourselves, and someone was just like, it was like. I look back and go, what the fuck was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> what was I wearing? What was I doing? It was stylistically, and look, we, we had no fucking idea. None. It was yes. just make it up as you go along. And we we just did it ourselves. We and we just we tried to take good advice from people. We thought were helping us you know and sometimes i did and sometimes they didn't you know so it's
1: but it's interesting it's, because the band did have a particular image and you did get an audience didn't you which were a, uh, of, of a type yeah. it was almost a bit crusty at times wasn't it and you did sort of have those kind of because we'd had the oh god no actually the levelers were about to appear weren't they but you did they were, have,
2: super, crusties. <laughs>
1: they were super crusties but then you had nope. Car- you had carter and then you had you know all that kind of I suppose North London scene, like the faith healers and um, My Bloody Valentine and Silverfish. So there was there was kind of yeah. a, a kind of a, an ugly noise appearing in different places. Yeah, I th-
2: I think it was kind of that thing of being artless and not dressing up and just doing just wear what you wear. I think I think I don't know any bands who are styled. I mean, we were really sort of good mates with you know the Sensings and the Neds and Snuff and um, uh, kind of bands up made were sort. they were just scruffy oiks. They were just—they were just scruffy kids, and that's basically what we were. We just—that side of it, there was no attempt to keep that, do anything of that, use that side to sell anything. And I'm not sure that's the same these days. I think things have changed yes. an awful lot. Maybe maybe they haven't. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's but I think they were just just scruffy fucking Herberts, just kids were just scruffy bastards, and all all they really cared about was was just really making a racket, you know. This is true. Well, actually, I think, you know.
0: I
1: was going to say, most people now who were in that music scene from back then just have no idea how how bands cope now, because because they haven't, you know, and and I'm the same, I wouldn't know, but but then there was these kind of gatekeepers, you had John Peel, you had those music papers, and if you yeah. were if you were sort of lucky you you know somebody would just give you a bit of press and like the nme was a weekly that had 100,000 yeah. copies and john peel had this yeah. massive reach and then you know if you got a john peel play in a session you might then get picked up with these kind of little art center places that would have an indie night somewhere on a exactly sort of Monday that's or Tuesday. exactly
2: what that's what i'm to us david is exactly the same yeah. we 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 were trying to play a gig every week and we got the peel play and he played us for six or seven weeks solid and we use that as a way of say get in touch, and he put our address out and thing, and we we just booked so many gigs off that, and that meant we could just go on tour all the time, and, that, and we just kept getting rebooked, you know, and it, it's exactly how we did it, mate. Yeah, it's true.
1: Yes, and that that kind of network. You know, I think most of us have no idea how, how that happens now, because you think, well, that that kind of would then give you that sort of ability to, to play in front of people who just aren't your friends, family, and anybody else you can emotionally blackmail yeah. to see, but you can play, <laughs> play in a random place in Norwich or Bristol or Glasgow, and people yeah. would just get in a van and drive the length of the country for that one yeah, year.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I don't I don't know kind of how... There was a, definitely a... Because the weekly music press means things by nature turn over very quickly um you could actually communicate get out there very directly and, and do what you wanted to do if you had any nouse about you or you had something about you i'm not sure now i think you can get your music out there now easier because you've got Bandcamp and you've got the internet and but i think it there's it's very hard to find people because it's a very flooded market it's it's it hasn't got that community feel to it i don't think it's it, it it's yes. very, I don't know, it's a very, very different, it's a very different age we live in now. And I, and I don't, and I'm not saying that too, it's disparaging. It's just very, very different. Yes, I, I think most
1: people would have no idea how how you do it now. And and even though no. most bands are a little bit bitter about the lack of money, there was there was enough to sort of survive and be in rock and roll for that period of time, whereas now it
2: would yeah, be like... Yeah, but I think when you're in your, you know, when you're in your 20s, I mean, you're, if you're as bad at some age as me, mate, I mean... A lot of people come to see us couldn't afford couldn't they'd, they got to the gig and didn't know how to get home they had nowhere to sleep they didn't eat properly we didn't either We broke down in Switzerland I think we had a half a bottle of tomato ketchup and a bag of rice or something like that and we often, we often didn't eat properly for days and, and but you don't care because you're doing something you love when you're in your 20s generally I think kids are in their teens and 20s are quite resilient and they just go fuck, I'm doing what I want to do and I'm not going to work. Yes. I'm not holding a job that I'm doing what I love doing, and money was something uh, we managed to keep going. We always had enough money to buy petrol and, and and get to the gig and play a gig and hopefully get given some food. And I think that's all you really need. It, it, you don't go into it thinking you're going to make money. And that was never the reason I was in the band. It was because I didn't want to go to I didn't want to go to work. I, I've hated the thought of working, <laughs> <laughs> and that was the same for all of us, and that's same same for a lot of bands. It's like dropout start a band with your mates and have fun and go on the road and hopefully things will will, will pick up and take off. Yeah, Money's money's never a motivation to do anything in the artistic world. I don't think it ever should be because if you're in the artistic world and you're thinking about money, you shouldn't be in the artistic, you know, it shouldn't be in the artistic world. You should be doing it for the absolute love of doing it. And I think that's, you know, it's a noble pursuit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you can't, your brain can't operate on those systems. I think there's a couple of people who obviously, people like Sting and Bono and various people seem to have managed to sort of somehow do it. But for most people, that's the exception. And I don't knock them because actually being in music is obviously one of the tougher yeah. careers because, you know, because everyone is out to destroy you really in, in every different but-
2: Yes, I mean, but there's always a, there's a tiny percentage of people in 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 every artistic world who who seem to clean up. But you I mean, even though I'm I'm not a big Bono fan, I'm not I'm not a big Sting fan, but they've got there off the back of originally working fucking hard and doing what they do, and they've done it really well. And they also can write songs that people, millions of people buy and love. Yeah, and that's 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 the reality of it. People can knock Sting all they like, on, I mean, people do, and I go, oh fucking Sting and fucking Elton John. It's like, yeah, but you look at their you look at their back catalogue. They've written hit by hit by hit by it, and they write some fucking killer tunes. And the proof's in the pudding. If they they wouldn't be where they are, if people weren't buying the records, you know. And it's you know, it's not for me, you know. But it but it's true, you know. They're they're fucking great songwriters, and that's yes. why. I,
1: it's why they live like they do. That's right. Well, yeah, over over time and age, you know, I I, I sort of have great admiration because I sort of having interviewed so many people who from the indie world, and you think, God, you know, it, it's a lot harder than we thought, you know, because from being a fan. Where I am, you know, and you just turn up at the Norwich Arts Centre and watch a band and think, oh, that's fun, you know. You think, God, that must be great yeah. being on stage doing you know. it. But for, as most people say, you know, eight hours of the day is really torturous sometimes. But those two hours on stage is fantastic. But like, like yeah. you say, when you when you're on rice, you know, TVP and your tins of tomatoes, going, God, I'm, really, <laughs> I'm 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 seeing, you know, no one really had to worry about their waistline at that time in the, their life, did they? Cause no, we, God, <laughs> no. <laughs> It was just kind of dodgy lager and you know drugs, wasn't it really? Yeah, but so, I mean,
2: but 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 you you know you I so say you don't go into it to make money, so you 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 the pitfalls of it, just water off a duck's back. For for we were kids. I mean, I was I think we were twenty two and we turned professional, so I was twenty one, twenty two, and you know, and it was like the best thing you could do was get in a van, go to Europe for six seven weeks, and tour Europe, and and it was just the best thing in the world. It was it was the most amazing feeling being with your best friends and the road crew were uh, your best friends. And you just go off and go, oh, fuck the world, we're going to go off and go to a different town every night and play, you know, yes. and, and have a great time. And, yeah, there were shit times, but, you know, 90% of it was amazing. <laughs>
0: it because you,
2: what do you need? I needed a packet of cigarettes and a, and a sandwich and I'd be fine, man. I'll, I could last on that, you know. And You know, it was, you know, it, it was, I found, I found it a breeze.
1: And that's going to be the first part of my interview with Danny from Mega City 4. We still have more quality chat to come. Indeed, we do. So don't, t- don't turn off or tune in, turn on and drop out because we've got some good stuff still to come. Anyway, this is David Eastall. This is a C86 show. And this is going to be another um, track by the band Mega City 4. I mean, if you like this band, fill your boots. It's going to just blow your mind. If you don't, you should because they were amazing. And uh, I do remember seeing them live down in Ipswich, the Caribbean Centre, or something like Caribbean something. Anyway, you don't need to know that. This is going to be Android Dreams. They were just one amazing band. That is Mega City 4 and the track titled Android Dreams that came from their album Soul Scraper. Hello, this is David Eastall. This the C86 show and this is going to be the second part of the interview with Danny where well, it picks up where we just left off actually about the wonders of youth and being able to still do those or do those things in your uh, well, teens and 20s when your body is still able to do it. And this was it. And this is the bit that I sort of mentioned about those, um, yes, things you could do when your body was still able to do it anyway know I won't get personal anyway this is it take it away yes well this is good I mean that's you <laughs> that well that's kind of I think part of it is also well 90% is, is having a body that isn't going to crap out on you when you you know like you do when you get to 50 and everything starts creaking really so um
2: oh fuck I couldn't do it now <laughs> I know I'd be like no fuck off I want to go home yes I know
1: well I sort of spoke to it it was Fish you know who's still doing it and he's over six foot seven he said you know he's got to have a good mattress otherwise he just can't walk in the morning you know and and it's a bit like I know you know that's it you know he said like there is no I can't have a bad night's sleep, otherwise, I really won't be able to move. So it's like, yes, yes. of course. Yep. And, and you know, that, that, he said, you know, you really, but also the interesting thing with touring and now for the, all those bands who are still going like the Godfathers and people, that they have to do Europe in a way that's like 30 dates in 30 days because of the finances and just sort of, yeah. you know, keeping it together. But he said, God, it does hurt. It really does hurt. Yeah. You know,
2: yeah, of course, because I mean, it's, it's, someone asked me that, I mean, so, I mean i, th- I was chatting to—I don't even remember—Tank. He managed the Neds. He, he manages. He lives in Australia now. He's a, he's a he's a very close, old, very close friend of mine. And he was saying, "Do you ever miss it when you go and see bands?" And I'm like, "No, because it's—it's it's that sort of music that we did then. It's, it's a young person's kind of pursuit, and I think it should remain that. I don't want to be an old fart doing that. It's like I've changed, and I don't know. It, it wouldn't be the same. It, some people can get away with it, and." I I couldn't. It doesn't interest me anymore, you know. Because I shouldn't be an old man or a middle-aged man dragging myself around with a bad back, struggling to do jump around, and do. it's like it, it doesn't seem appropriate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, somehow it's sort of yes, ungainly, yeah. isn't it? So look, yeah. <laughs> going so going back to that that golden decade, which is only now thirty years ago, you signed to Decoy Records, didn't you? Um,
2: yeah. Which was basically. It was basically Vinyl Solution, which is a shop run by um, Alan and, uh, oh fuck, what's the guy's name? Alan and, I can't remember his name, my memory's terrible. They run a, a music shop in, in um, Portobello Road and they had a little record label called Vinyl Solution and I think there's a couple of bands on it and they started a the label called Decoy just because they wanted to sign us. And it was basically a record shop. It was not like rough trade, but nowhere near as big. Yes, and it was it was just two French guys, and then they just put our record, just paid, just basically paid for the recording and paid for the pressing of the records, and got Southern Distribution to distribute it. So that was just basically yeah, sign there. We'll spend four grand on the first record, and you go and record it, and we'll put it out. And it, that was all it was really.
1: Blimey! And then you were so really because you were on an incredible roll at that time because you did almost an album a year for for several years, didn't you? Yeah. And, pretty much and toured because because I suppose looking back you know I was also a huge Smiths fan I realized it was a twenty four seven job for five years and I can see why everybody kind of lost it at the end but you must have had yeah. a very similar kind of period as well where it was just the band recording playing live and yeah. that was it there was no kind of that, um, that
2: was that was pretty much it yeah that's, I mean basically that's all we did we didn't I, didn't, I don't remember taking holidays we, you couldn't it was just like we're booking a tour we we're going to do that. We go in a studio, we book a tour, we go in the studio, oh, we got a weekend off, or I'll be back in the studio. It was constant, it was constant, you it know, is. and, um, but you don't really need a holiday, you don't need a break from it because the people say, oh, well, it must be hard work. It's like when you do something you love, you'll do it 18 hours a fucking day. It doesn't bother you. You'll catch, sleep, you'll grab sleep when you can. You love what you do, and it's, and I say you're young, you're resilient, you know, you're, you're tough, um, and you're with, you're with supportive people, so uh, it's relentless. I think it did catch up with us. I think eventually we we run out. We run. We didn't want to be in, in each other's company. You put anyone in 24 hours a day in the same house as each other. I mean, we we all live together. <laughs> it was like it was like the Beatles in Help. Pause it, hard days, night. Yes. So eventually, you fucking you get really fucked off with each other, but, and there is a burnout, of course, because it's so relentless. But you have to keep going. You have to keep that momentum up because where's the money going to come from we weren't banking anything we're just putting money in the bank and it was going out the next day on oh no on a bus hire on on, on food on you know it's it, we never we never come out of it with a penny no but we kept going, we kept going for a decade which i suppose without a manager without any music sort of associates are going to support is fucking miraculous, and no, it wouldn't happen these days. I don't think.
1: No, someone would have been helping, looking at the small print. But then, when because you also did, you did America as well, didn't you? And you and you toured that that whole sort of continent. So, how it, did you cope? Because, like a lot of people, they often say, "And that was the end of the band."
2: Yeah, we only did, we only did, a, we only did a quite a short tour, and then went back and did a couple of shows. Um, we didn't do America because again, we didn't have. We didn't really have. the... I think a lot of bands that go to America and come across don't like touring, and like in Australia, it's it's a fucking huge place. It's content, and it, and it takes a lot out of you. And unless you love being on the road and going to really far flung, crap fucking places as well as good places, bands it just bands don't like it. And we were a touring band, but we I'd love to have toured America for years. It would have done me, but we never had the financial support for a rental company to do that yeah. because the label, the label wasn't particularly big. They couldn't get us into the radio there. So the setup for the band to be in America was just not big enough. It was like, well, we can't get on this radio station. We can't get that stuff because you, we never had enough clout because we were never ever on a big label. You know, I and mean, it was, it was, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it maybe it would have killed us. But it's, it's the, you've got to have the kind of setup up to go and tour a place like that. You've got to have the contacts. In America, it, it, it is tough. But I think bands come across cropper there because they don't like touring. Yes. I think it kills
1: them. Yeah. And some because, bands do that tour. Because the other thing, apart from the dance scene that sort of knocked a lot of those bands out, the other thing was the kind of the whole grunge scene. Did you ever sort of, when you started hearing those bands from Seattle and, you know, Sonic Youth and Buttholes and Big Black, did you sort of think... You know, God, we we should change our sound here. Or did they, did that influence you at all?
2: Well, Sonic Youth, and the Battle Surfers were kind of. A, I mean, I remember them in the eighties, and I used to go and see. I'd seen the Battle Surfers, and I'd seen Sonic Youth a few times because I love Sonic Youth. I mean, especially their whole Daydream Nation period is fucking glory. I love them. I absolutely love them. Um, the the grunge thing. No, it was. I think it was something that was specifically American, and I was kind of really happy because I thought. This is what rock music, rock, rock music, has really fucking needed for a long time. Because I particularly hate bands like Motley Crue. I, I hate fucking that hair metal LA shit. I can't stand it. That twiddly, twiddly, yes. macho mm. pop And I thought that was the best thing. I thought at last there's bands who are fucking intelligent, who can play. And, you know, I'd seen Nirvana uh, a couple of times at the Astoria. I think once with Tad on very early on. I've seen him a few times. And I just thought this this is fucking what we need. This is you. There's never a reason to kind of um, not like something that is that is a game changer. Because if it's not any good, it won't last. And I think those bands. There was a lot of tailender bands, you know, like Bush and um, I don't know. Uh, there's other bands I can't remember their name. But no, I mean we never fully altered our sound. I mean. I don't think so, but that that become a primary focus for a lot of the music business was grunge. Yes. But I, mean, I don't think it's, it's a very American sound. And English bands just don't have that sound. They just don't. They don't have the studios. They don't have the, they just don't sound like it. Um, and it's not the genuine article if an English band tries to do that, you know. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think that was a positive thing. Yeah, you know, I was happy to see those bands, and and even that got tired, and they started saying advertising people in check shirts in Vogue and saying this is the grunge look. And yeah. once once it's gone that far, once they got hold of it, you think it's dead, it's finished, it's in the media, they're going, they're going to start marketing this as a thing.
1: Yeah, well, it, I that, think it, it, you know, I think every kind of that you know when you look at the sixties and glam and then punk, you know, there is that period where suddenly it becomes you know you can buy what do they say with nail and my hippie hippy yeah. wigs in. Um, Woolworths, and it's that that's new. it, yeah. <laughs> so, that's the fucking truest line ever, and that There's is kind so of yes. In Woolworths. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when you got to sort of you know, like I don't know, change. Because the one th- amazing thing with the band is that you did sort of keep as a four piece, there wasn't that many people, you didn't have a revolving door of other members, did you? So you managed to sort of keep no. that, that dynamic going pretty well. And then, obviously, from grunge, you had Britpop, so that was that was towards the end of your. Kind of, yeah. The band really wasn't it. So you'd sort of gone pretty through much. quite a few musical genres, really.
2: Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, it's, it it didn't seem like a long time, but when I look back, I think, oh Christ, it was. Um, but I think we were, I think we were a bit out. I don't think we were ever pegged into a scene. They tried to create this thing called like Fraggle, which I don't know. I think it was just Steve Lebac or Sam Williams penned it. But um, I think we were pretty much kind of just doing our thing and. And the people who liked us kind of liked that fact we weren't part of a scene. I mean, there was a, I remember the charlatans kind of being lumped in a bit with the Manchester scene, you know, and it's like, and they weren't really, but people thought they were, you know, because they looked a bit dancey, but they're mm-hmm. actually more like blur. You know? And they and, and they did
1: have one fantastic kind of single quite early on, didn't they? Which was kind of one of those, yeah, it was like, a I suppose it's, yeah, was it was an in an indie anthem wasn't it almost like, yeah what was it oh, um god i don't know about time
2: yes. i know i know i was gonna i was gonna sing there's no other way but that's by blur <laughs> yes i know
1: so yes it was yes this is true but it had that kind of oh yes you've you've written the classic here haven't you the shots yeah and, yeah yes so um yeah god we'll have to <laughs> we'll have to google that later now won't we yeah but, Yes. so because then because then you'd moved on to another label hadn't you fire records
2: um, at the end, yeah, we, we the big life thing was a subsidiary of, oh, fuck those, I can't remember, PolyGram or one of those people, yeah, one of those dying, flesh-eating monsters, and we moved off them um because they said oh, we don't want the hits, we just want to develop the band and blah blah blah, and we, and I thought, well, oh, that seemed all right. Now that weren't fucking true. They did want to, they did want hit singles. So, like, no, we spent this much money, bye. So we we're off them, and um, so we went. We went to Fire, who was uh, Pulp's original label, I think. That's where um, Old Jarvis was on him mean, You think he did about eight albums on oh, Fire records? Oh yes, Pulp.
1: That's right. I remember yeah, they put out a, a compilation that I remember getting decades ago, and it was like oh. yeah. And that was when that's we awful. all found yeah. out that Pulp had been spending decades before they made it. Um,
2: yes, yeah, they've been. Ran a long time. You Going know, yes,
1: I mean for long, longevity and endurance, I think they deserved uh, a medal because no other band yeah. would have ever bothered. I mean, David Bowie bizarrely did struggle through the sixties, making pretty horrendous you know singles, but then he, just, he hit it, didn't he?
2: He found his feet, but but he learned how to be David Bowie by doing those, doing yes. that time. That's how you learn to do it, and that's how Jarvis Cocker. I mean, God bless him, he's he's a fa- fucking fantastic bloke, you know, and he just did what he did for years and years and believed in himself. And his time came round, and yes. that's the way to do it. I, know he's, I think he's older than us, man. I think he's, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, fucking good on you, mate. Good on you. But he knows who he is, you know, and he's stuck at it. Yes. Did his thing. And, you know, I must say we ended up on fire. I don't think anyone else would fucking touch us by then. Anyway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and when you oh, were, recall- this was Soul Scraper, that- were you aware that the, the this was kind of coming towards the end of the band?
2: Um. I, oh, it's difficult. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? Yes, I did. And I think I think the last year of the band, I think, I think the treadmill of us being together a lot, of kind of living on top of each other, of never really getting on top of things, always struggling to make ends meet, and kind of being sniped at by people, and it just felt, And I thought I felt like if you don't, if you're not on the ascendancy, and I, I'm not sure if it's a British thing, if you're not in the ascendant, you're on the descent. You can't just you can't just tick along in the music You got to be on the way to somewhere, and if you're not, you're a fucking has been. And I felt like we were fighting a losing battle. Um, but I, what I I think I think we fell out of love with what we we're doing because of the the fucking struggle it was, you know. And, it, and I think it just got to us. And I think what really what what we should have done, what we what I think I do now, is go. Let's just take a fucking year off. Let's do something else. Just put it to bed and leave it for a bit and and write some really fucking good stuff, leave it if it takes two years, and come back with something completely fresh. But you don't, you daren't get off that treadmill, because you think, oh, they'll forget us, and they'll, oh, it'll be, you know... But people don't. If you come back with a fucking great record, people will go, wow, what to, I wonder what happened to this lot.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, it was bizarre because um, you had, you know, I mean, the Beatles doing Sergeant Pepper. I mean, I mean, everyone thought they had just disappeared and that was the end of the Beatles. And then suddenly they went, no, we've got this out you might like it. Yeah. And that was kind of yeah. interesting. But the, the, the two people I've always admired was David and The other one was Lemmy. And, and obviously, because Lemmy, you know, did his Hawk, Quinn, Pure, and then Mothead. And then years of problems with record labels management and, and sort of like just depending on the German market. To keep you know the band virtually going, so I suppose in a way through that endurance you eventually you you get it again. I know what you mean though because it's kind of interesting watching bands like the Levelers who went from you know the Arts Centre to suddenly Glastonbury Pyramid Stage, then back to you know the UEA, then the Waterfront, then the Arts Centre playing really tiny gigs, and it's kind of and the same because I did an interview with Jimbo from Carter, and it's a bit like oh I love him, love the man, yes he's amazing, but there is that moment where you're thinking. I'm going to be playing in front of 200 people. Can I cope? Is it worth it? Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you start out doing that and you love it. And, it's, yes. and I just think it's that thing of thinking, have I failed? And it's like, well, if you, are you eating? Are you, making, are you making those people happy? Are you happy when you go sleep in a hotel? Are you enjoying your day to day? And it's like, well, just do it. and Don't give a fuck what people think, you know, and get off the treadmill and find a way of doing it that makes you happy it makes you productive, yes. it doesn't kill you, it doesn't, Doesn't. it's not like pulling teeth every day, and you know, and I think towards the end of us, I think we kind of got spiky with each other, we got spiky with the business, and I mean, I know I was, because I was drinking a lot, and I was taking tr- drugs towards the end, and it was like, it was just because I wanted to get, I wanted out, really, but I didn't have the balls to get out, yes. and, you know, and, and we basically, played a gig, I think our last gig was Ipswich, actually, at the old times or there's a little pub called, I am not sure what it's called now. And we didn't know it, but we played our last gig. And the funny thing is we played our first single Miles Apart last, which we never did. We just never played another gig. We just didn't do it again. It was what, we didn't split up. We just went, okay, well, (laughs) it was really odd. It's funny. We just, I just think we all knew a year and a half before, a year before we, that we'd had enough. And it was just like, right. It's just not, do it anymore, then? But no one said anything. It was, you know,
1: God. That's like, yes. What? You just all. which is really odd. Walk, yes, it was almost like the Joy Division song, "Walk Away in Silence."
2: Yeah, <laughs> you just
1: didn't, didn't even Did. didn't even have the fight, didn't? So then, no. I mean, so what? I mean, because that's always curious. I mean, what happens to the the whole? admin and the equipment and all that do does, who who takes care of all that kind of oh by the way you know we've been given this check or oh we've got a bill or oh, we've got all these well, all this yeah, stuff
2: it's a great it's a great question but there really wasn't anything we got we got hit with a we had an, we had an accountant who fucked up we were paying a lot of VAT on we were earning we were turning over a lot of money in merchandise and there was a lot of money turning over but that so was all going out again paying people And we got smacked with an enormous VAT bill, which basically, when it cleared me out, I lost everything. I lost my guitars, all my amps. I I basically had the clothes I stood up in. Um, Wiz went off to Canada and played with the Doughboys and toured with them in Canada and America. Uh, Jerry moved out of the house. I didn't see him for ages. And Chris, I think he moved out. And it was just like basically everything just went stop. And there was no real, I don't know, I don't know. Like I say, because we weren't really, we we run ourselves, there was nothing to deal with, nothing to deal with. We paid everybody off as we went along anyway. We paid our bills on time and it just ground to a halt. It just literally stopped and just didn't start again. And and that's all I kind of really remember from that period Um, and being really clinically depressed for about eight months.
0: (laughs) Well, yes,
1: because there must have been a huge vacuum in your life.
2: I was like, what the fuck am I gonna do now? I'm gonna get a job. No, I can't get a job. I can't work.
1: <laughs> and I guess you didn't have a house.
2: Uh, no. Well, well well Wiz did. I lived I lived at Wiz's house. He, he bought a house with the um publishing money. He got he got a publishing advance quite late li- uh, quite late on with big life. And he just he just bought a house and he just put it into that, you know, and we all lived in it. He was like, Well, we're all gonna live with you then. <laughs> <laughs> Poor bastard. And um So, yeah, I mean, he was off in Canada touring for a long time and I was living in the house. I think we shared a car as well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And that is going to be the second part of my interview with Danny Brown. Don't worry, there's still one more bit to go, but I think we'll break it up with some more music from the band. And this is a John Peel session that was recorded on the 19th July 1988 only 31 years ago, oh my god. Anyway, this is a track titled Clear Blue Sky. There you have it, the track titled Clear Blue Sky, that was Mega City 4, and that was the John Peel session, the first one, recorded July in 1988, I think produced by the one and only Mike Robinson. I know, normally it was Dale Griffith, but on this occasion I don't think it was. Anyway, who cares, that doesn't matter. This is going to be the last part of my interview with danny to talk about yes that sort of period where um yes the band had come to an end and then what happens next this is it danny enlighten us with the next part of your journey
2: um it did i mean in a way it stopped me rejoining i think the thing it did do the good thing the fact i lost fucking everything mean meant i couldn't really rejoin a band or do anything else and i was out of love with it anyway and there was there was a massive vacuum, and that I kind of had a descent, and I had, I had a lot of mental health problems for, for a uh, kind of say about five or six months of not knowing what I was doing, uh, kind of trying to get a job and not being able to get a job because I got you know I got no fucking qualifications um, until I just just cut my hair off and and I went to train as a um, an English language teacher and that got me back on the straight because I just thought I need to do something that I need discipline and concentrate and to try and study and just get myself back in the real world again yeah because you know you waited on hand or foot in the band you just basically you just fill up with petrol and go and someone does everything for you and picks up your passport and you know and okay tour manager what are we doing now you know everything and you think someone's cooked for you someone everything's done for you um and i i basically had to kind of retrain myself to be a proper functioning person which i'd never been i went from being a kid to joining a band yes i'd always live with live with mates i was feral I <laughs> you know, didn't wash properly. Didn't shave properly. Didn't do anything properly. Couldn't cook, and it's you know, and you you like you're like a man child, you know, and, and it, I just thought in a way it was the best thing that ever happened because it, I, within a couple of years I'd completely changed. I had to stand on my own two feet and just get on with it, you know, and uh, or, or or descend, you know, and, um, and 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 I'm really in a way I'm, I'm kind of glad I did. I'm, and I'm glad I didn't go back into music either. Really, I I didn't want to be around people hanging round backstage at places and there was all that used to be in so-and-so you know I I got out and I didn't have anything to do the business at all I completely left it behind yes which is always which is the way which is the way I coped with it you know it's just turning back on it you know and I'm not bitter I was never bitter about it it's just like this this shit happens I've had 10 years at it that's a long time that's longer than most people ever get
1: yeah and also, I mean, you, you still created an amazing body. I mean, does it... Because I noticed one... The other thing that I've noticed in this was that often 30 years seems to be a period of time that passed and then people go, oh, actually, I can look back at that with a bit more kind of... I don't a being able to look back and, and look at it yeah. rather than just no, I'm not looking at it and being actually I've got you know because seriously some people are like no no I'm not going to think about it I'm just I blocked all that you know with yeah with, with either therapy or drugs and then it's like <laughs> oh actually you know it was and then looking actually it was all right it was fine yeah but it often yeah. does, it often doesn't it's end true. well and you know you have to let go of the fact that where did all the money go <laughs>
2: yeah but yeah, then you kind of go. But I speak to a lot of people. I still know a lot of people in the business, um, kind of, and that's why we cultivated really good friendships with people. And it's fortunately, I think, we chose well because I'm still friends with a lot of people. I was friends with bands then, and people who work in the business, like there's a guy called Rad Saunders who manages people like The Darkness. And he manages, I don't know, he manages a lot of people. And, um, Tank, who runs a label, runs a management company in Australia, manages the Ned's Atomic Dustbin and Reef and Baz. We're really good mates and we chat about things. And, and I was chatting with Tank a few weeks ago because he, he had an artist up playing in Brisbane. And he said, um, he said, it's funny, there's a lot of people I know who were like running merchandise, working in management, who started out like you and me, he goes, some of them are fucking multimillionaires now. They're, they're some of the biggest people in the world in the music business. Like the T the T boy at Concord, who's our agent, you know, is one of the biggest agents in the world now. And and it's just like all the people I knew who were in the business who were savvy, weren't in bands, but they were just scruffy kids. Amazingly, and all the musicians I know are broke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're all fucking penniless, or they're just scraping together you know, thinking about how we're going to make men's meet. They're all middle-aged men, you know, and all the roadies I know are all fucked. I've got bad backs and bad knees, you know. And I just think, you know, it's the way it fucking goes. You you go into it knowing... Well, you don't go into it knowing anything, but you can't... When people say to me, what did you do in your 20s? What, what's your kind of work history? I'm like, well, I didn't work for 10 years. I just fucked around with idiots and went, went all over the world quite a few times. You can't really... really there's no remuneration for that. I could have worked that and made money, but I'm glad I did what I did and earned nothing because that's just the way it is, you know. You can't have your cake and eat it. No. You have fun, earn no money. Some people earn money and have fun, but I mean I could have been an accountant. I was look back and go, oh, that was a fucking terrible life. What have I done with my life? I wanted to be in a rock and roll band.
1: Yes. Well, you know, yes. I mean, I suppose it's a bit like, you know, in a sort of not quite as bad as Vietnam. But, you know, it it did sort of, you know, send a lot of people slightly potty and the drugs and and the delusional quality and then having to cope cope with, uh, you know, getting back on, you know, civilization when it's all over, which must be kind of odd. As, yeah as well which is which gotcha. is kind of, yeah. which, but um god i was going to ask you a question and i just forgot it but that's age um yes but then which 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 always kind of brings things a bit like into reality or you know Wiz died, didn't he? which was must have been one of the biggest shocks of anyone's life when when someone passes away
2: yeah i mean i th- I, I was thinking about you know i mean i think about him every day and i just i mean he's the first kind of person very close to me I, I'd, I'd lost and he yeah, you know, we were very, very close. I'd lived with him all my life, basically. Um, you know, we we all, we talked every week, sometimes to you know twice a week. And um, and I think I'm getting to an age where where now, I mean, we both we both are, David. I guess we we've all suffered kind of bereavements. It could be our parents, you know, or very close friends. And I, I think it's shocking if you're in your 20s and you lose someone. You don't know how to cope. And it was very, very. I found it very difficult to cope because it was a person who basically educated me and brought me up. And, and kind of given me, he's the reason I, I I you know off off the back of his talent, that's why I had a career because yes. it wouldn't have happened without him. It was all to do with him, and I'm very realistic about that. And to lose someone like that is is it was well, you know it is it's fucking devastating. Um, and there's no two ways about it, you know. Um, and it's it's just yeah, it's very difficult. It's one of the reasons I. I don't revisit band stuff. I don't listen to the records. I find it very, very painful, very difficult. And in fact, this is the only interview I've done in 23 years. This is the first interview I've done, because I, I, a guy lined up a news, an interview from a Spanish newspaper a few weeks ago, and I just can't. I couldn't face it. I just couldn't face doing it. I find it very difficult to, to, to go back. I, I find nostalgia quite painful, and I always have done. I like to always look forward and find new things and find new bands, and to revisit old things like there's a Mega City Four kind of website thing, and I, I I look at it now and again, but I find it painful. So I tend not to look back. I, it, I, it's the memories,
0: yes. and the pictures,
2: and the music. It just it, it makes me sad, and I can't help it. Yeah, no, well, absolutely. <laughs>
1: you well, know, I try to I
2: try, you know try to move on, but it's you know it is difficult.
1: Well, I, I suppose when you were sort of talking about that that period of your twenties and, and sort of like looking at it. I mean, the thing is, you know hopefully we'll all sort of grow to an old age, but you you won't ever look back and think, Oh, I wish I went to more work meetings or I wished I did more admin. Yeah. you know you you would look back and think, actually I wouldn't change that period in the band for anything because that that's kind of the highlight you know those memories are etched on your mind more than you know even though life is better when it's a bit more sensible, you know those moments where you were there in the van. Doing the gig, yeah. plugging in, seeing the crowd, seeing the people with yeah. the t-shirts going wild, yeah. and and hitting that chord—you know—that that's the kind of thing that you, you hopefully you'll be sort of remembering enough when we're. Well, it is. Our... I
2: mean, it's living the kind of. I think it, there's things I, I, I there's things I remember very fondly, but it is it is thing you you uh, kind of a dream like that starts with you have a dream and I think I want to I want to do I want to be a kind of pop star I want to do this you know. And to actually achieve it and actually do it, it's it's quite surreal. I remember being, I mean, with me and Jerry, I think we we're 13, 14 years old. We were schoolmates, and you know, we were playing. We were just jamming in his garage, and he said, "Wouldn't it be amazing one day we're gonna we're gonna play in Japan and we're gonna sell it out? We're gonna do this and this." And, that. and we kind of, I think it was New Year's Eve, and I think it was about nineteen seventy-eight, and we were just kids. And um, and years later, we walked on and we did two nights in Tokyo and sold them both out at this quattro club place and it was about 1990 or 91 and we we both remembered before we went out and we said do you remember that conversation we had when we were kids and that was just a dream we had he goes and we're here we've done it we've fucking got here and it was a lot of work it took years of playing shitholes and dumps and you know lots of awful awful places and (laughs) bad things thrown by bikers but to have that seed that dream come to fruition and it's not you can't just sit around and think it. You have to. You have to work really fucking hard to get it. And it's quite surreal to be in that situation where you're living thing that you're living a, a life that people dream about. Yeah. And it's it, it is odd. It, it's it's a quite a surreal thing to do because people think, oh, "I wish I could do that." It's like you fucking can. Playing guitars easy, <laughs> but it's writing songs is the fucking trick, mate. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's the trick.
1: Yeah, because kind of, you must have felt really amazed when Muse covered a, a track of yours, Prague, as well.
2: Yeah, I was quite surprised. I mean, I know our friend Jane, who works at Warner's, who's an old fan of our band, and was, we're really, really close friends. And she she works, Muse are on the label. They work for her. Like she knows them through the radio. I don't know. She's the head of radio. And she was saying, well, they used to come and see us. Um, the lead, the, what's his name? Uh, Bellamy, Matt Bellamy, is it?
1: Yes, I think Matt,
2: that's, yes. Matt, yeah, he used to come and see us in the West Country because we were one of the only bands that ever go down to um, Devon and Cornwall in the kind of late 80s, early 90s, and no one else would go there. And we'd go fucking anywhere because we were stupid. So, and he used to come along as a kid and watch us. And he apparently loved Whiz and always like stood watching Wiz play and loved his guitar play and was quite inspired by him and was a big fan, you know. And that was really, that was lovely because I, you know, never knew him. I never knew who he was. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: and um, yeah, it's just one of those people who sort of, Grew up watching us as a kid and was really inspired and started his own thing, which is which is fantastic. It was a lovely, it was a lovely uh, thing to have him do a cover, and it was like, I think it said on the inside 4 whiz on the, on the inside of the sleeve, and it was, it was really, uh, yeah, I was really touched by that. I thought it was a lovely gesture.
1: God, that is nice, isn't it? And just lastly, yeah. what would what would you say to your or your eighteen year old self? You know, like that that kind of the wisdom you've picked up over oh my the
2: God <laughs> 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 that is a fucker of a question. What would you say to you? Thing is, it's it's, it's that. Um, what's that? It's like a. Oh, something. I, I thought something the other day, and I thought, what would I say to myself? was it was the same sort of thing. And it's that odd thing in the saying. Um, how do I put it? It's. I think I'd say fucking delegate. Trust people and delegate things out. Don't try and do everything. I think we were so insular and tried to do everything ourselves. I think we'd have benefited from letting other people go, this is what you should do. This is how you should do this. But we were like, no, we know better. We, it's it's our control, 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 control. We'll do it like this. We'll do it. And it's like, I think, I think we were so, we had such a gang mentality. We were so tight. It's very hard for people to penetrate our group. And I think that con- can be to your detriment. I think you need a bit of... You need to have a bit more... Just, I don't know. Not outgoing. It's quite a tricky one, isn't it? I'm trying to think of the right words. I just think it is. I think it's 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 trust your instincts on listening to people who've got your best interests at heart. And if you... You should be out to sass who they If you've got a bad feeling about someone it's usually well-founded and listen to your gut but i wish we'd have really delegated more things out and let other people helped us really let other people help us out and do things for us and uh, we did have did have have our best best interests and i think that's basically it really yes don't be so don't be so bloody minded
1: This is always tricky, isn't it? I know. Don't
2: take, don't take loads of drugs all the time. Yes. Have well, I stop, stop drinking.
1: <laughs> well, I think a lot of people say that, and they also say, "Oh, I just wished I'd enjoyed it more as well," because I think that's the other thing, isn't it? Just
2: yeah, oh, enjoyed it more. Yes. I couldn't have enjoyed it more. Oh, I was good. a terror I was a fucking terror. I think we all we were all absolute fucking tearaways. Well, that's
1: good because I think a lot of bands just took themselves too seriously, or were just all all bit angsty all the time, and then went. Oh, shut no,
2: up. I was never. No, we were very rarely angsty. We didn't let people see it, but I think <laughs> I wish I'd have treated people a bit. I was a bit. I would like to have been a lot less cavalier with people. I'm a lot more kind. I think. I'm a kinder person now because I've obviously you go through life. Fucking kicks the shit out of you. And you end up being more em- empathetic and I don't think I was then I think I was quite tough and ambitious but those qualities are why we made it I think is that being narrow-minded ambitious very hard very tough Those the qualities that made us I think are the things that I look back and go oh I wish we were a little bit softer and a little bit you know I think with age you should I think with age you should get softer I think it's the right way to go you should get more tear I mean I I, I I get more emotional and get more teary over things now than I ever did, I, and the older I get, the more I do. You know, yes. silly things make me quite emotional and and teary. And I but I wouldn't I wasn't like that in my twenties. I think I was all about me. It was all the ego. It's like just push, push forward, you know. And I didn't didn't have time for other people. And I wish I wish I had a done. But um, yeah, but that's that's youth.
1: <laughs> well, I think I think to be in a band and be in that creative industry you know you do have to have a certain arrogance and bloody mindedness and i think when you lose that sometimes it could be you know i I think when when one gets older you know one's even got much more self-doubt so wouldn't have that kind of bullshit you know like fuck off i'm going through nothing's going to stop me it's like oh no perhaps yeah perhaps i'll think about this and then you lose the moment don't you and think yes i think
2: you're right yeah yeah there's certain you need you need to be cavalier sometimes and quiet quite determined and i think the toughest survive and i think that's just how it goes you just got to be really fucking tough skin of a let say the soul of a baby and a skin of a rhino don't they I think yes that's what they say. this is they true. whoever they are <laughs> Who they,
1: yes some random they. people they, those people over there this is true. and that is the last part of my interview with guitarist Danny Brown, one-time member of the amazing Mega City 4, an amazing, um, yes, insight into life on the road and in the recording studio. And a huge thank you for giving me the time for that. Um, I was very touched and quite emotional listening to some of those stories. Anyway, big thank you to Danny um, for doing it. So, um, yes, I feel slightly melancholic and reflective. But anyway... Perhaps I'll just pull my socks up. This is David Eastall. This is the C86 Show without sounding too desperate. You can contact me if you so wish. Um, Yes, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Check it out, at C86 Show. As I said, keep it positive and groovy. Otherwise, just don't bother because life's too short. Um, And also, all these shows have been archived, so you can find them on Spotify, iTunes tunes uh, Mixcloud and Podbean don't forget the latter well anyway look I'll leave you with another track from the band who were amazing let's remember them for just being brilliant and uh, have a great week this is going to be I do believe he says looking down at his notes that he didn't make oh nearly there I know things I never said I know if only I was more organized anyway here it is